This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hello, everybody. A warm welcome to you all. It's, if you don't mind, your fave podcast ever, obviously. (laughs) And it's your host, Madeline Sherrington here. Very excited to be back for our second episode of season three. And guys, it's a good one. You want to know why it's a good one? Because we have our first ever international guest. Yes, you've heard it right. We've got someone on the show today from the US. Her name is Julie and she is bloody hilarious. And I absolutely loved talking to her and I'm just so excited that I've, uh, you know, got to speak to someone who's living in another country, experiencing things completely differently, uh, you know, accessing healthcare in a completely different way. Um, Yeah. It was so, so radical to, to chat to her. So obviously the stuff we discussed is very similar to what we usually have on the show regarding people's mental health journeys and, and their experiences. But it's interesting because Julie is talking about it uh, from the perspective of someone living in the US and their healthcare system is not amazing. <laughs> um, Julie does a great job of kind of explaining the ins and outs of accessing care um, in the US and, and what that's been like for her. Um, we also talk about her own mental health journey, um, living with anxiety and depression and, and how she's gone about seeking treatment over the last few years. So yeah, it's a really, really interesting episode. Um, I think obviously it's great to focus on the Australian perspective because, you know, that's where I'm from and that's who I'm speaking to regularly. And, um, I don't think that's uh, ever going to change, but it's, it's great to kind of hear from people who are living all over the world because, regardless of where you live, mental health matters, you know? Um, so yeah, really, really excited for you to listen to this. Uh, in terms of a trigger warning, there is mention of anxiety, uh, depression, suicidal ideation. Um, so if those are some things you're not really up to listening to today, totally fine. Come back when you're ready, when you're feeling up for it. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a great listen for you all. One thing I will say is because I recorded this via zoom uh my audio isn't as good as it usually is still pretty good um but mine's a little bit echoey so i do apologize but um yeah still very still very high quality audio i'd like to think um so yeah just so you know that's why you're hearing a slight echo on my voice but apart from that it's a great episode i think you're gonna love it i'll see you after Julie, welcome to If You Don't Mind. I am so excited for you to be here. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. I'm, I am so excited because you are our first international guest. Woohoo! What an honor. Oh, my God. It really is. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I think, like, obviously, uh, Australia, 
very important. Um, but it's so interesting to kind of hear perspectives and experiences from people in other countries. Um, yeah, oh, for sure. And yourself, you are from the US, obviously. And so the health system and the mental health system is completely different over there. Um, and I, yeah, I can't wait to, to chat to you about that later in the show. But I guess to start off with, I'd love to just, yeah, have you, have you introduced yourself to uh, the listeners, who you are, what you're about, what you do for work? That would be amazing if possible. Sure. Um, well, hi, everyone. I'm Julie or Jules, as most people call me <laughs> um, or have since I was a child. Uh, I live in Detroit, Michigan, in the U.S., um, in the state that's shaped like a hand. Um, we, and <laughs> If you're from Michigan, you grow up like pointing to your hand to show people where you live. Usually uh, only other people from Michigan know <laughs> what you're doing, uh, but it is a point of pride for us. Um, I work in IT. I, um, I actually work in a now- the knowledge field, which sounds uh, super impressive, but it's, it's basically just uh, like technical writing and uh, writing like, tech support documentation mm. for agents to read when you like call the help desk for tech support. Wow. I'm one of the people who works on writing those and drafting those documents. So for a very specific t- role. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you would have told me when I graduated from high school 21 years ago, Hey, when you're in your thirties, you're <laughs> going to be doing this job that you have no like you just learned about the internet. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's interesting. It's um, yeah. Like you said, it's very niche. So it's kind of, it's, it's difficult to describe and it's difficult when, you know, if I have a bad day at work, it's difficult to describe to people why I've had a bad day. <laughs> so it's just like, I had a bad day at work. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting, but it is a little um it's it can feel a little isolating sometimes. Um I also work from home and have worked from home since 2010. Wow. So, so way before the pandemic hit. Yeah. So I had a lot of training for the last year of just being inside by myself. <laughs> uh because I also I live by myself. And my um, cat child named Brienne. Oh, love um, that name. Yeah, she's she's the best. She's my little uh, stray adoptee. Um, so, yeah, I, I have my own space, which is great. And uh, I love my, I have a nice walkable neighborhood and some friends that live down the street. So it's been a lot of, like, meeting outdoors with covert beers together and (laughs) luckily now we're since we're the opposite of of you guys we're kind of going into spring so we're feeling a thaw there's been some sunshine lately so I think people people are starting to feel a little um a little optimistic you know with this the vaccine news that we're getting Mm. and I know you wanted me to talk about myself but that's you have to. Yeah, how it's relevant. Things, how things are, are are going in my little slice of of Detroit. Um I live in a in a neighborhood called West Village, 
which is actually on the east side of Detroit. Um, and I've lived in Detroit since 20, early 2013. And I absolutely love it. Love oh. Detroit. Love everything about the history of Detroit. The music of Detroit, everything. Have a tattoo of Detroit. Wow, you're all in. So, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I when I moved here, it was, yeah, 2013. And then the city declared bankruptcy in <laughs> oh, late 2013, I think wow. it was. And I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. But, um, I mean, there's still... you from the outside there's a lot of stories about like the comeback of Detroit but it's nice to be here and be in it and see that like a lot has changed mm. but there's still there's there's still a long way to go yeah and so that kind of has pushed me to take a more interest in like political stuff and get into uh like get out the vote stuff for democrats and um, you know, progressives and liberals and basically anyone who's not a Republican. <laughs> um, sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, eventually my parents are Republicans. That's uh, a lot of interesting discussions. I bet dinner is probably really interesting. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, that has the, the experience of, of living here has, um, it's given me, it's made me grow a lot as a person mm. in very good ways. And so it's just, I, my love for this city runs very deep. I love that. I think it's yeah. just so cool. The idea of being so connected to the community that you like are living in. Like, I feel like a lot of us yeah. just walk around every day and just don't have a second thought for what's going on around them. Um, but really you've made me want to visit Detroit so much. And we should, <laughs> I will. Everybody should. Post as soon pandemic. as I can, as soon as I can, I was literally <laughs> meant to be before the pandemic hit. I was meant to be going to the U S for Christmas, 2019. No, oh, 2000, where are you gonna go? 2020, 2020 is what I meant to say. Um, we were going to go to New York and have a white Christmas. Hmm. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. And then like go to other places, but my partner and I have been wanting to travel to the U.S. for ages, and it'll happen one day. We'll get there. Well, you'll have to come come to Detroit. I will happily be a tour guide. Oh, yes, please. I love to go around and take pictures and look at historical markers and all that kind <laughs> of nerdy, nerdy shit that I think is super cool. No, I um, love it. Done. Because I, I have zero, zero chill. Like, I'm... I'm kind of a, a stereotypical American in the, like, I'm, you know, wear my emotions on my <laughs> sleeve most of the time. No chill, super earnest. Um, luckily, a little sarcastic, <laughs> which helps. You need that. But like, mm. yeah. But I have zero chill when it comes to if I like something. <laughs> You're all in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. appreciate that. Um, well, I guess my first question for you today would be, um, you mentioned in uh, pre previous discussions that you've kind of been struggling with anxiety for most of your life. Yeah. Um, and I'd really love for you to kind of tell us how that started and 
um, what your experiences were like uh, as a teenager and, and a young person and, and how you kind of found your way through that? Well, um, when I was a kid, I can, I can look back on it now and realize a lot of um, anxieties that I had as a kid and a lot of fears that I had as a kid were just fear of something bad happening to mm. me or my parents or my sister or my family or whatever. Mm. So when I was a kid, I would like basically have a child version of a panic attack. If there were dark clouds in the sky, I would oh, not go no. to school. I would not go to school because I was afraid of tornadoes and thunderstorms and all of that stuff. Mm. Now I love thunderstorms. Um, which that was a, a period of, you know, like I remember telling a friend in, in when I was in college for a year uh, that I was afraid of tornadoes and there was a tornado watch. So it was not storming or anything. And she's like, Oh, let's go out for a walk. It's not going to be scary. There's not a storm going on or anything. It's not, it's, if it starts getting bad, we'll come inside, but like, you shouldn't be afraid because chances are nothing is going to happen. And that actually helped me wow. to deal with that. And it still freaks me out a little bit. And I still have that like a little pit in my stomach if there's bad weather. But for the most part, it's just like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, but when I was a kid, it was like it, debilitating, like staying wow. home from school, um, like I would, I would put all of my, if there was bad weather, I would put all of my stuffed animals oh. in a bag and go sit in the basement of our oh. house. Like it was, it was a lot. Um, oh, I was also, I was just a lot of different little phobias that I had. I was afraid of, um, well, this is a legitimate phobia. When I was a kid, I lived, I grew up in a very small town. Mm. Um, probably about 3,000, three to 4,000 people. Wow. A farming community. Um, but that was also kind of equidistant between two towns that had GM plants. Yes. Um, so obviously the auto industry is pretty major here. So um, grew up in a small town. And when I was little, like in kindergarten, a whole block of the small town that I grew up in burned to the ground. Oh my God. That's terrifying for children. And that scared me. That still like fire still gives me a little bit of panic because then when I was a kid, I was afraid also that my house was going to burn down. Oh. And so like, I remember having a, um, well, this also, I had a, bedroom on the second floor of the house so for a while I had a little um like fire escape ladder under my bed wow like that if there was an emergency I could and also I don't know how I would have known how to do this in retrospect I was like seven <laughs> like yeah seven-year-old me is gonna have the in retrospect like seven-year-old me is not going to have the, the the mindset to fire hang a fire escape ladder over the window 
Um, so, you know, it was just like my parents saying, we're going to put this here to make you feel better. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but then that also led to me, uh, sleeping in the like den on the couch in our house for like, until we moved from that house. Wow. I never slept in my bedroom. <laughs> it was a very weird, it's still kind of a, a concern that I have, but very much less so um than when I was a kid so what were your parents like what were they thinking about this like what was their reaction to all this were they very confused as to like where it had come from no I don't think so um I think well I think with the fire thing it was it was like oh this is a you know a thing that she's realizing happened and I was an aware I was a curious kid. I always wanted to know what was going on. Mm. Uh, We always watched the news. I always knew it was kind of what was happening in the world and a, like from a very like small child view. Yes. Um, So I think they thought I just was scared of things. Yeah. Maybe. I don't Mm. think they gave it. My dad was an anxious kid too. So I think he probably thought that was a little bit of that, but um, I don't, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Just mentioned then like the idea of like becoming aware of something. It's really interesting how like as children, you just kind of have this blanket of like, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden you start to realize that things can go bad. Yeah. And I think I was the same in terms of whenever I had these revelations, I was like, oh my God, well, I can't live the same now, now that I know all these things can happen. Mm-hmm. And other yeah. children will be like, okay, well, that's just the thing. And I think that's when it comes down to a bit of uh, like just personality and like what you're kind of, who you are as a person and what you're born with is that kind of anxious temperament to like Mm -hmm. find out this information and then extrapolate it into some sort of like panic um it's very interesting I I I feel the same way yeah and I think I think also part of it was I I in addition to the like fears and phobias and things that I had I have always wanted people to just like me all the time Mm. And so, like, um, I don't know if you watch any or have watched any of John Mulaney. Oh, he's my favorite comedian. He's my favorite comedian. Mine too. Yes. I love him. I love him Um, so much. Because I relate a lot to him. We're, I think, the same Uh, age-ish. But he says in one one of his specials that walking around with him is like walking around with someone who's running for the mayor of nowhere. (laughs) He just wants yes. everyone to like him so much all the time. And the older I get, the less I I feel that way. And especially, I think, the last year has kind of shaken that out of me a little bit. Mm. Because I think the last year, at least because I have been privileged enough to just have a shit ton of time on my own. <laughs> yes, yes. And you haven't had to be like um, performing for anyone or like right. impressing anyone. Right. I just got to, you know, do my job when I have work to do and try to not go insane and (laughs) have, you know, Zoom calls and things like social things as much as I can, but Mm. still a lot of time um, on my own. Um, 
But I think the last year has really made me think like, okay, here are the people that I want to like reach out to in my life. Here are the people who are reaching out to me and like all and older friends who I haven't kept in touch with are reaching out. And so it was a period of, of realizing like, okay, I want to put time into these relationships and Mm. these friendships. And you know what, if the outside stuff falls by the wayside, that's fine. Exactly. I don't need I everybody that. to like me anymore. <laughs> no, I just no, don't I'm have okay any. with that. that it doesn't exhausting. matter. I think when the when there's a global pandemic, it really puts things into perspective. It really does. It really does. And I mean, that still doesn't keep me from spiraling sometimes in the like, uh, if I have a really bad anxiety episode, it's usually um, something that's in my head hmm. that I think somebody is mad and which spirals into everybody hates me. Yes. You know, the, oh, yeah. the I think it's a, a very, very, um, everybody does it in their own way, but it's like a, a tenant of anxiety yes. is like, like a pillar of anxiety is the everybody hates me anxiety. Yes, I agree. I don't really know anyone with, uh, maybe a few people, but anyone with sort of like a generalized anxiety disorder who doesn't have that as part of their their kind of neuroses. Um, yeah. It's just this, I think it's also this idea of like, uh, if everybody doesn't like you, you're going to end up alone and you're going to yes. end up like isolated. And I think that's a fear that we have is the idea of just being alone is so scary. Yeah. Um, to people with anxiety. And I think it's, I think it stems from that sometimes. Um, but I, I completely, I have the same exact thing. It's just this incredible, like in high school for me, it was particularly bad. The need to be liked. Yeah. Oh, just waste so much time. That was, um, a lot of my twenties too, Mm. early twenties, especially the end of my twenties. I kind of thought like, okay, and I was also kind of like growing into my personality by spending time with people who were like fostering the weird shit about me that maybe hadn't come out as much before the good weird shit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think that, you know, that makes a difference too. like who you're spending time with is going to help you come into your own Mm. in a more like, natural way if you are someone who you know wants to have relationships with a lot of people which I do I like having a lot of a lot of friends um a lot of acquaintances a lot of like party friends you know like friends of friends that you see at parties a few times a year and you're like these are the best people in the world and then you (laughs) talk to them like four months later but but say in between how you need to get together. Yeah. I miss that. Yes. I miss that so much this year. Are you a person like, and this is me as well. And I think it's the funniest combination, but an extroverted person with an anxiety disorder is just such a, (laughs) it's so hard. Yeah. It's really weird because I really want to have a ton of friends, but like the idea I'm this, daunts me a little less now again i think this is something that comes with age which is a cliche but also true yeah um is like walking into a group of people 
who already know each other and you don't know anybody. Ugh. That's like, that it, to me it used to be what I assumed the center of hell was. <laughs> <laughs> like the center of hell is just walking into a, a room where seven people are already friends and you don't know anybody. Ugh. Yes, I I 100% agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, I hate that shit. <laughs> I'm a little bit better at it now, but I do still, if I'm going to into a situation where I don't know anybody, I do like to, you know, bring somebody with me or, you know, have a friend with me. So I'm not totally that awkward, awkward <laughs> yes. like, 23-year-old again. Yes. No, I understand that. I think it's just, it's just meeting a person one-on-one is like perfectly fine for me, but yeah, going into a group of people that you don't know who all know each other. Like if they didn't know each other, I'd be like, I'm fine. This is all good. I'll be, I'll be the person who breaks the ice. But if they all know each other, I'm like, well, what am I, how am I going to get in into this? Like, what am I, what am I going to do here? Yeah. Usually my thing, even if I don't, even if nobody knows anybody, somebody else usually has to start the conversation mm. for me to get involved. Gotcha. I'm a little less um, shy about like breaking the ice now, but it's yeah. Before it was just like, all right, I'm going to wait until I can loud laugh loudly at something and then join the conversation. <laughs> it's just so hot. Like, Oh my God. Having these neuroses, like, they just get in the way. They really get in the yeah. way. They're very inconvenient. Fuck, I hate it. Um, yeah. Just, it's, yeah. It's not great. It's a real pain in the ass. It is. Do you have the um, neuroses of, like, using, not only using humor to mask your feelings and problems and emotions, but also using humor as a, like, if people laugh at this joke, or what I'm doing, I'm validated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I find I have this need to make make people laugh in meeting, like meet, work meetings and, like, I just, I, I think it's also just me, like, thinking it's the best way to break the ice and yes. what, I want to seem approachable, I want to seem cool and collected and I think humour is a way of, like, expressing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also just, like, the biggest... Like I, f- I have this very big fear that I dominate conversation because I can't oh, shut I have the that. fuck up. I have that um, fear too. Yeah. So it's just, it's just so, it's so paradoxical. Like you're, I am so confident in what I have to say and so good at making friends, but at the same time, I'm terrified that in actual fact, it's all just in my fucking head. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. And that six so months from now, your friends that you've made are going to be like, I don't actually like you that No, much. you're terrible. I've just That's been really polite. That's my worst fucking fear. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's so hard because you just, it's so, it's so sad to say. I just want to be liked. But at the same time, I think that's the case for many people. I think, yeah, I think it is a, a true like human nature like so and some people don't need to feel validated by everybody and some people are really great at self-validating yes which is i 
like congratulations but also fuck you <laughs> fuck you because i can't do it <laughs> but i'm sure like, you're practicing i'm sure you're practicing at it oh yeah yeah for sure when i'm in a when i'm in a good place mentally i am great at practicing self-validation when i'm not it's it i need to like one of and what's been really difficult actually about the past year is that usually when I would get in a place where I would feel bad about myself, maybe not like super like depressive episode or mm. um, anything like that, but just feeling kind of bad about myself, <laughs> I would invite my friends over and cook them dinner Aww. and feed them <laughs> because I like to feed people. I like to cook. I like to feed people and I like for people to feel to enjoy what I make them. Yes. Whether or not they're lying. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they are. I don't think my friends would do that to me, but it's, it brings me joy. And so like not being able to do that has been hard. So the first like two months of the pandemic last year, I think I baked every weekend <laughs> and I would like walk little things of cookies to my friends and be oh. like, here you go. I made you. I made you this. <laughs> I'm spiraling. Here's some banana bread. Please take this. Yes. Oh my god! I just. I mean, I get, but I get that. I completely understand that, and that must be so difficult to not have that outlet. Um, it's been, yeah. <sighs> Luckily, um, I have been able to do some. Like, I have a like a a pod group mm-hmm. um, of me, and then two couples who live one lives down the street from me and one lives out of town um but they also are able to isolate so we can like spend time physically together like once a month and wow we've been doing that for for like three months i think and i've been able to cook for them So it's like, all right, I can do this. Thank God. And every time we get together, I'm like, let me cook for you, please. <laughs> it's, I'm not it's even like a fancy, way. I'm not a fancy cook either. It's just like, I'm going to make a nice like Ina Garten recipe or something. I don't who is Ina Garten? I don't know who that is. Ina Garten is um, on a show called The Barefoot Contessa on oh. the Food Network. And she is a rich woman who lives (laughs) in the Hamptons and her husband, Jeffrey is an economics professor at Yale. And they met because um, I don't know how they met, but um, I, her show is wildly relaxing because it's just an unapologetically rich woman (laughs) making amazing looking food in the same chambray button up shirt in her little Hamptons kitchen. She's the best. I have to, and her, like her, um, she's, and her voice is really relaxing and she's just, I don't know. She, I love her. And her, her thing is always like, if you can't make, um, homemade mayonnaise store-bought is fine if you can't make homemade whatever it is store-bought is fine because store-bought is like kind of lowbrow for her (laughs) 
Um, she wouldn't dare. Amazing. Oh my god, that's wouldn't so dare. funny. Okay, I need to look that up. Um, I need yeah, to look so that up. She, so I like to to channel her in my cooking. That's brilliant. Maybe it's uh, way off course, but it's fine. She, she has helped me through a lot of an- anxious situations. It's all relevant. I used to watch her at the end of my work day. Oh, there she, you go. Her show came on at four thirty, and I signed off at five. And so I would like answer emails while like listening to her show in the background, and it was very soothing. Beautiful. Sometimes you just need, yeah, a cooking show to help mm-hmm. you get through. Julie, let's take a break, and when we come back, let's discuss all things uh, accessing uh, mental health care in, in the U.S. I'd love to know. Okay. Let's do it. Okay, well, we're back. Julie, thank you so much for that first half. Uh, yeah, you're, you crack me up. I think you're very funny. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> it's lovely when you're interviewing people uh, about serious topics, uh, yet there is still uh, good banter and, and humour involved. Absolutely. I mean, I love it. that is my number one coping mechanism <laughs> humour, for sure. Oh, you need it. I don't, I couldn't, if I couldn't make jokes or like make light of things, not in an inappropriate way, obviously, I just, like, I couldn't be serious all the time. It's so the opposite of who I am. Yeah. I just, it's, there are times when I definitely get into slumps where I take everything too seriously. And I look back on those times and it's like, all right, you gotta, you know, it's always learning your your own boundaries right yes, like exactly. all right what what can i like make fun of now or what have i processed enough that i can like start to crack jokes about uh, so yeah yes. i mean i i definitely need to get much better at that but i think that um like the last after making it through the last year and especially through the election last Mm. year in the u.s Mm -hmm. it's like all right i definitely took a lot of things way too seriously um not not anything involving like trump i took all of that as seriously as it needed to be taken Yes. yes but other things around that and now i'm like all right i know what my own boundaries are now and like when i need to chill out and all right it's so no. good. I think it's just as we get older, it's an it's an incredible gift that we're given that, yes, we're not youthful anymore, uh, but we do have this incredible insight that we didn't have as mm-hmm. young people. And that's why I, I remember my mum said to me once, she's like, Maddie, your 30s are the best. And I'm like, I don't believe you. I, I don't want to be 30. No, thanks. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want to be 20 forever. <laughs> and I'm about two years away from it. And I think this is the start. I feel like I'm starting to a completely understand who I am as a person and be mm-hmm. like, stop engaging in behavior that is clearly bad for me. Um, <laughs> and it's a beautiful feeling. And the, yeah, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's, it's that, that's why it's so important to just kind of give yourself that space in your in your 20s to like figure it out because it's yeah, so you confusing it. you have to and and i think women are a lot better now about giving themselves grace for fucking up yes because like 10 years ago i was so hard on myself and like i think it was just common for 
you know, women to have to make a lot more choices that seem daunting and, Mm. you know, being a, you said you're 28. Yes. You're a millennial as well. And like the maligned, like millennial generation, that's going to be fucking broke forever. (laughs) And and like the, what millennial women have to deal with uniquely, you know, to all of the other generation of generations of women and what they've had to deal with. But I think that, that with the, with more people starting to go to therapy and more people realizing what their own kind of neuroses are or their, what their own actual like mental illnesses are Mm. gives it's, it's liberating in a way to know what you're dealing with so you can deal with it. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. So that also dealing with it allows you to forgive yourself for those fuck ups Mm. a lot more easily, a lot, a lot more effectively and while being a lot kinder to yourself too. Yes. I agree with everything you just said. And I think it's, it's like, I used to be someone who was like, I needed a diagnosis. I need this, I need this label. I need to understand all about it, blah, blah. blah. But now I'm more in the sense of like, these are things I experience. Uh, These are things that make it worse. These are things that make it better. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to work with that. Um, And I think that's been very freeing too, is knowing that you don't, need to be lumped into a particular mental illness or mental health condition or blah, blah, blah. It's just like, this is what I experience on a day-to-day basis. And this is what I can do to make myself better um, yep. and get myself out of it. And I think that's just such an incredible gift that we get to have. And it not everybody is. does. Yeah. Figuring out what you can do for your own like healthy coping mechanisms Mm. and then also, you know, figuring out what kind of treatment you can do if you want to do that. Not everybody wants to, and that's fine. Mm. Um, I think everybody should go to therapy, but that's my, that's my own thing. I think you should be court mandated as soon as you turn 20. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Um, I also think it should be free everywhere, but you know, that's, Yes. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll get, um, yes, 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 yes. I'd, I'd love to, I guess I'd love to kind of ask you about yeah. um, this experience you kind of had in, in 2014, 15, sure. and how that got you into therapy. Um, and then I'd kind of, yeah, love to discuss how you, you access therapy and medication and stuff in the US. I'm really interested to hear all about that. Um, but first, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love you to speak to what happened then and uh, what you experienced Sure. So I, in, after moving to Detroit in January, 2013, I started a new job that fall Mm -hmm. and it was, it was, it was a big learning curve for me. And it was something that I, at the time, definitely had the ability to do, but did Mm -hmm. not have the confidence to do. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I getcha, and, I getcha. And so I was, I, I just felt like I was in over my head in a lot of ways. And I was working in this, um, like, client, what's called a client-facing position in my role where I was on a team that was 
interfacing with a client that we were, that was paying us for support. Mm. So like, this is a, a big like IT company. And so this is hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not, I don't know. I don't know how much money it was. It was a lot. Wow. Of so they're, because we're like their help desk and all of that stuff. So it was a, it was a lot. And I was, as someone who wants to be a people pleaser all the time and who was good at the job that she had been doing, mm. going to this job where I am kind of know what I'm doing, but like don't have any confidence in myself, had a string of just bad like meetings with the client that I was supporting Hmm. and felt just like horrible about myself, horrible. Like I'm failing at this job and I want to succeed. This is a, like a promotion, like a big deal job Hmm. for, for me at the time. And like I had, um, kind of had a, a rough, like, started to feel depressed at the end of 2013, like going into um, the holidays, had a really rough time um, just, and then into 2014, I think that was the polar vortex winter in the States. So it was, it snowed so much. Wow. And it was one of the polar vortex winters. And so it was like, um, wind chill here of like 20 or 30 below, which I don't know what that is in Celsius. Sorry. No, that's fine. It sounds cold. I can, I can, I it's can understand. Really, really, really fucking cold. And so it was just a super isolating winter. And then, uh, th- these like series of like projects that I'm feeling like I'm just bombing and I just start to feel like, super depressed Mm. and then I start to feel like I don't I don't want to be I don't want to live like Mm. at all anymore and so I used to like I lived in an apartment in downtown Detroit at the time on the fourth floor and I used to to daydream on nice days about jumping out the window and realizing that like it wouldn't do anything because it was just the fourth floor would yeah it would just seriously hurt you (laughs) I'm like, oh, I'm just going to break my leg and look like an idiot. So now I can't do that. And so it was just these like awful intrusive thoughts. And like, I think Mm -hmm. some of, some of them were a a smaller portion than what I thought at the time were probably actual real suicidal thoughts. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of it was suicidal ideation and just like having you know, when you have a thought into your mind, that's a super intrusive thought. That's Mm. really bad that you shouldn't think, but you're feeling bad already. So, you know, it just kind of takes over. And so it was a lot of just feeling like shit. And it was, it came and went in waves. Um, I gained a bunch of weight. I had been, um, I've always been, um, fat for lack of better words. I mean, I don't, I call myself fat because I'm an overweight person. So I have no problem. Yeah. Yeah. I have no problem. Like I'm not a fat phobic fat person. No. Um, and so I had like 
started running and was exercising and was actually like doing so in a healthy way. Like I wasn't like I was going to the gym maybe three days a week and I was running like 5k, you know, not like anything super intense. And I really enjoyed running mentally because it kind of helped me get out of my own head Mm. and it was it was great for me. But then, you know, when you feel bad, you don't want to exercise. And I was drinking a lot. And so I just kind of started to, you know, gain weight, feel bad about myself, make stupid choices. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Usually with men. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a lot of that. And then um, I, I had gone to counseling because I had a, under my old insurance, because here all of our like health insurance and healthcare is tied to our jobs. Yes. Which is fucked. Yes. Sounds Um, very scary. Yeah. Unless you're um, below a certain income level and you can qualify for assistance or if you are, above I uh, can't remember the age 70 then you get medicare which is gotcha. like the social security which is t- not great because it's underfunded and it's yeah it it covers some things but like my parents are on it and they don't they don't get like mental health care or anything like that that's wow like extra so um i had gone to counseling because there was a program through my insurance. Uh, I can't remember the employee something. Uh, it was some corporate b- mumbo jumbo bullshit <laughs> that was like, you can come here and get like six free therapy sessions um, at participating counselors in your area. And so I went to a couple and they were fine. I didn't really feel like I was getting a ton out of them. And then I was feeling a little bit better. Like it started to go on a, on an upswing at the end of 2014. And I started to feel great. And then I, asked my doctor about going off my antidepressant, Mm. which I have been on the same antidepressant since 2010. Wow. I used to be on that one. Yes. Um, It, it uh, has probably saved my life in more ways or more times than I would care to admit. Mm. But um, so I, I was like, I'm feeling good. I want to see what it's like to not be on it, which is like, of course, that's usually when that happens, you know, it's like someone, because it's working, (laughs) the drug is working. (laughs) That's why you feel good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And so I had a total like meltdown in the first few weeks of 2015, like just bad like so bad that i i still had paxil and i just put myself back on it yeah because i thought there's no if this is what it's like while it's because i weaned off of it you know i did the whole thing that my doctor 
put me on, you know, I wasn't like a cold turkey thing. I did what I was supposed to do. And then the first two weeks of it being completely out of my system, I just felt like, uh, like the little, um, you guys, well, you guys are fortunate because you don't get pharmaceutical commercials. No, we don't. Which I think is so interesting that it you is do. wildly fucked up. And yes. we can get into that a little bit. Um, <laughs> so we, there's a drug here called Zoloft. Yes. I know. Um, yeah. And it's commercials had this little, um, white cartoon blob that used to, to kind of like, I don't know, roll around in the Zoloft commercials. He was a very sad little blob. And he would have like a dark cloud over his head uh, with the rain, you know. And so I was, I felt like the Zoloft blob. Um, and I'll, I'll send you, uh, I'll send this to you in an email. Let me look up an image. Um, but a lot of that's like, a, unfortunately, that's like an American cultural touchstone that most Americans like my age would be like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. The Zoloft blob. That's um, so fucked. <laughs> yeah. can't, I can't. Oh my God. Yeah. It's super fucked. Um, but this blob is very cute. <laughs> Anyways. So I started to feel like progressively worse and worse in 2015 from even back on the Paxil. Uh, and then and I was still feeling like a lot of suicidal ideations, a lot of anxiety, a lot of I depression, everybody mm. hates me, da da da, just horrible, horrible feelings all the time. While still working this job, the job feeling was a little getting a little bit better, but I still felt just not confident and like burnt out by this point because I had mm. put so much like pressure on myself. Exactly. So much stress just going into this role would be, oh my God, so stressful. Um, And just unnecessarily like stressed myself out, you know? And so I had luckily been able to like wean myself off not drinking as much. Mm. I still enjoyed drinking, um, but I definitely had a problem at the time and I was able to kind of say like, okay, we need to fix this. That's not helping anything. Mm. And then I remember vividly um, waking up one morning after having a dream that I was going to kill myself. And like in the dream that I had, I was like saying goodbye to people for what like I knew was the last time in my dream. And it was so clear in my head. And I thought like, this is weird because I don't usually remember my dreams that well. And it just, it was something that just like shook me, you know? Yeah. And then that same morning I signed on to, cause it was 2015 Tumblr. Um, <laughs> And I follow uh, the NPR Tumblr or whatever the news of NPR news Tumblr, mm. because I'm a news junkie and even the app that I use for fandom stuff and being a nerd about like Game of Thrones at the time, I'm still like, I need to know what's in the news. <laughs> um, 
And one of the first posts was a story about um, a zero suicide prevention program that was held or that was um, taking place at the behavioral health unit of the Henry Ford Hospital, which is where I go to the doctor. Whoa. Yeah. And like, I'm not, I'm not like a spiritual person. No, I'm, I don't believe in God. And I, I do believe in fate to a certain extent and like, you know, coincidences and things like that. But I was just like, okay. And so I, (laughs) I called the number right then. Like I read the article and I'm like, all right, this is, this means something. I was supposed to see this. I'm going to call. And so I luckily having again, insurance through my work, um, called and told them what was going on. And, you know, of course they asked the, are you suicidal question? And I didn't say yes, because a lot of times that can mean like you have to come in to the ER right now because if you say you're suicidal, we have to put you on suicide watch. And that's very daunting and scary. Mm -hmm. And, and I wasn't actively suicidal. Yeah. Like planning and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that it was like, these are thoughts that I've had enough that, you know, I've had thoughts that concern me. And then having this weird, dream that was obviously something that was somewhere in my brain and like this is just bad depression for the last couple of years bad anxiety Mm -hmm. my entire Mm -hmm. life (laughs) um so then i started to i started to see a therapist at through henry ford hospital and the first therapist that i went to was a great like intro therapist because she asked a lot of um like searching questions but she also had what i what i call um resting empathy face (laughs) which is like a she's always kind of kind of concerned by what you're saying yes but she's looking at you like she's like concerned for you and i hated that shit that's off-putting that would be so off-putting and she was she was a good therapist she was she was a little more clinical than i prefer Mm. um like she would ask me every session about um if i wanted to completely stop drinking or completely stop using marijuana yeah and i was like no to either of those things (laughs) that's that's no um (laughs) And especially because, um, and now fortunately weed is legal in the state of Michigan. So it's, Oh wow. It's a lot easier to get. And I don't have to, um, like smoke it. I can like take a gummy edible or whatever. Cause I tried to stop smoking. Yes. Um, last year with COVID. Great time. Great time. I guess I should not smoke weed every day um instead i'll just eat a gummy edible every day it's fine uh anyways so i started going to 
the first therapist, which was good to kind of get a lot of like fear about um, like initial anxiety about like losing my parents Mm. and things like that. That's always been a fear like since I was a kid, you know, like I said, something happening to my family Mm. is always a concern and like my dad's health isn't great. And so that's always in the back of my mind. And so that was a stressful time then because I think my dad was going through um, a health issue and I, I live like an hour and a half away from my parents. So it's not super far, but if there's an emergency, it's still that like, I, all right, I have to get there in hmm. an it hour and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, that's always been a concern. Uh, so I was able to kind of like get those initial feelings out. So then with the next therapist that I went to, because my first one was a, um, was on her, her like rotations. And so the next therapist that I had was one who really got me to open up about um, accepting validation mm. and being a lot kinder to myself so I didn't spiral in the situations that made me feel like nobody le- loves me and I would be better off just being dead, you know? So she got me to, to really look beyond the perceived ways in which I thought I was fucking up. Yeah. Yes. And kind of getting out of my own head because with the, the need for my need for like external validation also comes the internal immediate action of deflecting it. Wow. Okay. And like not being able to accept it. Like, yes, I, always yes, tell, yes, yes. I always tell a friend of mine that like, if he ever has something super nice and earnest, he wants to say it to me, write it down and give it to me <laughs> and I'll open it up when I get home. So we never have to acknowledge it. <laughs> and uh, that's great. That sounds perfect. <laughs> Um, because I'm, I'm someone who likes to, to, you know, validate people because I am someone who likes to be validated. So, you know, it's the Mm. whole like treat people how you want to be treated. So with my, with friends, I want to validate and there's some of the same like problem that I have as well with some of my friends that like deflect that, that and the first thing is like, I don't accept this compliment because then I have to acknowledge that there's something good about me. Yeah. Which is, it just, it's just so hard apparently up. to do. Yeah. No, I understand. I get it. I'm so glad that you had that experience with therapy. I think, yeah, it's, 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 I, I have had so many conversations with people where they, they start off and they just have such a terrible experience and it really limits them or stops them from going back. Yeah. Um, and when, but when you do have a good first experience, just open stuff up, just opens it you up does. so much. It really does. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, I still definitely had to like pay out of pocket for, for mm. therapy sessions and it was partially covered by insurance, fortunately, mm. but it's not 
always super easy to because because insurance companies in the states are like greedy craven little capitalist machines yes um, <laughs> it's you know some providers are like health providers whether it be mental health or you know your own like physician doctor hmm. maybe maybe in your insurance network they may not be in your insurance network if they're in your insurance network then it's covered and you may only have to pay the copay if it's <laughs> not in your network you have to pay extra or you have to pay completely out of pocket wow. and a lot of therapy here is are usually around like $200 a session. Oh, so what would the copay, so, so if it was covered by insurance, what would your copayment be? Um, anywhere from like $20 to $100. Or if wow. you, in some cases, if you have shittier insurance, which I've had before, mm. um, you have to pay for, you don't even have a copay, you have to pay full until you meet your deductible. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. And like, this is just, this is, I don't even know that much about the insurance industry. I just know enough to know that it's, it's confusing by design. Yes. Because it's, you know, a billion dollar industry that like relies on just capitalism and cruelty. <laughs> Is the medication, so I guess this is me showing my, um, I don't have the, the knowledge, obviously, but in, in Australia, for example, if I want to go get my antidepressants, I can get a packet of them for like $8 Australian. Like, is that it, also depends is on, is it expensive there? That also depends on your insurance. Got it. Okay. It is mostly needlessly expensive wow. because obviously it takes like pennies to manufacture a pill. Yeah. Um, you're just paying for the like CEOs, <laughs> like golden parachute. So part uh, of the thing here, like we were talking about um, pharmaceutical ads, drug companies have so much power um, here so they can lobby everyone. Um, and they do. Uh, and so they can push certain medications, both by advertising them on TV and print, whatever. But also, um, there have been cases where doctors will get like kickbacks from prescribing wow. a certain amount. Um, there's pharmaceutical reps that go around to doctors' offices to like pimp their drugs out. Um, I think one of the main reasons why we don't have like federally legal marijuana is because the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical interest industry knows that a lot of people would use that to medicate yeah. because it's natural. You can grow it. You know, a lot of people have been using it for a hundred years to medicate, let alone, mm. you know, indigenous people who've used it for a millennium. Um, so it's it's just bizarre that the uh, so much of the like health industry in this country is just based on these billion dollar companies wow. pushing their drugs 
and it's infuriating because this is our, they are huge, huge, huge roadblocks mm. in getting any meaningful like legislation around healthcare, around mental health care, around um, drug access, anything like that. Um, because these drug companies also pay senators and lawmakers, uh. Uh, especially in states where their headquarters may be or plants may be or anything like that may be. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so like, oh, that's just, yeah, it's very it's hard. Really, it's really, really impossible for people who, like, I have a lot of privilege mm. um, being able to access this level of care where I go to a therapist once a month. Fortunately, I have, I've, if I feel worse, I can usually go, you know, once every two weeks. Mm. Um, I hate going once a week because I, I hate feeling like I'm talking too much. (laughs) (laughs) A friend of mine has also been going to therapy for the last year or so. Um, because one of the great things that started, um, last year during the pandemic was that, the university that's here in Detroit, Wayne State University, their um, psych uh, grad students, I think, were doing free counseling, like wow. online counseling. Um, so people could sign up and do online sessions, and it would count as like hours for towards their degrees. Mm. So they were getting training and like recording the sessions to like, you know to have their teacher or their um, like attending see. So he started to go to that, which has been a really great thing um, because people in Detroit need all the assistance that we can get. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, he was telling me that he felt bad because he felt like he he was just talking through the whole thing and wasn't letting his therapist talk. And I was like, yeah, that's, I mean, you're there for that. That's the point. That's so funny. (laughs) I just was speaking too much. I'm worried I was dominating therapy. (laughs) But enough about me. How are you doing? How are you going? Far out. Look, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting because in Australia, our, our public health system, obviously, I don't want to say it's better. It's different. Oh no, it's, well, I can say it's better. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like there's obviously challenges in it. Like we have this thing called a mental health plan. Um, Anyone, can really access it. You can get up to 10 sessions for free. However, oh, wow. yeah, but past that, um, there isn't a really a lot of subsidization. Like to see a psychologist is is pretty cost effective. You could probably swing it. But to see a psychiatrist, it's not it's not possible here. <laughs> like really? it's just there's you have to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to see one unless you are uh part of an inpatient um uh you know yeah if you're an inpatient or you're under some sort of like uh program but the Mm -hmm. average australian uh yeah it's it's hard so it's just it's frustrating because it's so important like it's such an important aspect of humanity you know you have then because here a psychiatrist 
like my therapist doesn't prescribe my antidepressant. Yes. Yes. My psychiatrist does. So is that the same there as well? No, we usually have, for most of us, our our antidepressants are prescribed by our our GP. So our general practitioner. We we do that here too. Um, It's just, it's whatever you can access. And yeah, it's, I think the other issue is there is, there's lack of standardization and there's lack of like a doctor might prescribe you an antidepressant because they like it and they think it's worked well for their past patients and might be not, might not be the right one for you. And there's always right. like, there can be a bit of a push to go on medication really quickly. Yeah. Um, it's just, or it's, in the case here, it's, are you, is that doctor getting a kickback? Exactly. Paxil. Exactly. So I think, I mean, there's issues in, in both camps, but I think it's just, yeah, this, it's just this unwillingness to kind of go deep in and really make e- extreme change, um, which I think is what, is what both countries are struggling with. I think it's having to also yeah. change the way that society looks at mental health. And obviously yeah. if every single person in Australia was like, we want better mental health care, that's what we'd have. Um, but that's not the case. And, you know, I understand from a, a funding point of view, there's only so much money. Um, but, yeah, they still need, they, we need to do better, essentially. Yeah. We really do. We really, really do. Um, the, yeah. I mean, the, the super frustrating, well, I mean, there are so many super frustrating things for me hmm. about our health system and country in general (laughs) um is just this idea of this you know bullshit american exceptionalism that we have and the lack of empathy and support that we are showing to our own citizens in this country Mm -hmm. by not helping them access health care and mental health care. Mental health care is publicly talked about the most in the two days immediately following a school shooting. Wow. It's always what Republicans, generally Republicans, want to say is how much we need better health care in this country. And everybody is like, yeah, no fucking shit. We also need (laughs) a ton of gun control. But we also need to make sure that mental health care is accessible to people who might not be able to afford it, which you are not willing to do. Yeah. So, so Mm. it just becomes the standstill. And then with the extra added like giant in the room of this like capitalist healthcare machine that Mm. we've built, that's, I mean, there are bills like the Bernie Sanders Medicare for all bill, which would be a start, but like that still is going to take time. It's not like we can get Medicare for all overnight. Yeah, exactly. It's, I guess it's a a case of like dismantling it from the inside. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Somebody has got to get in there and take down some, uh, white collar executives (laughs) i just don't know how and you don't have you don't have to you don't have to have those answers (laughs) okay good okay um look we're nearly out of time julie um but i'd love to kind of just hear before we before we wrap up um if 
and now obviously this is going to be depending on if people can access it, but say if people have access to therapy and they're kind of, they're not sure about whether they should or should not go, uh, what would be some advice you'd give them in terms of how good therapy can be? My first piece of advice for both therapy and um, antidepressants or any sort of medication mm-hmm. is just the to be patient. Yes. It might not be the therapist for you. It might not be the medicine for you or the treatment for you. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you failed therapy um, because I think there's a lot of the expectation that you're going to start and it's going to fix you. And that's not the case. Yeah. Um, So my biggest piece of advice is be patient with that and be a lot kinder to yourself than you're already being. Yes. But also just um, it's, it's really rewarding for me to be honest with myself Mm -hmm. in ways that I maybe haven't felt comfortable being honest with myself before. Um, And to be honest to myself in an accountable way, like saying it out loud having someone there to help help me process it in a way that isn't also immediately validating it, Mm. but validating it in a way that says like, I hear that you've had that situation. Let's kind of unpack it and see what it, what it really was. Maybe it's not what you were remembering and maybe we can deal with that in a way that helps you process it or cope with it. And so there's a gift in that level of honesty, really. And it, mm. I think it helps you in so many other ways in your life to realize more how important honesty is and how much people in your life value that honesty with them as well. Mm. And so I, don't, I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. And one of the biggest like helpful things I've learned in therapy is being honest and also communicating that honesty in a way that is effective. And also if you're communicating it to someone else in a way that is empathetic, but also not, I, I don't know if you have a tendency of doing this, but when you're, when you're trying to be directly honest with somebody, it's like the, well, maybe, I don't know. I've been kind of feeling this way. And it's like, all right, cut the shit. (laughs) Like now I'm just like, Hey, listen, I've been feeling this way. I don't know if there's something going on. And then, you know, it's, it's a communication style that doesn't work for everybody, but it seems to be something that has worked for me, Mm. but it's, it's a gift to give yourself the time to work on yourself too. Yes. I love that. That's so so good. I 100% agree. That's that's my therapy takeaway. Beautiful. Everybody should go. (laughs) Go therapy. Julie, thank you so much for joining me and being my first international guest. What an honor. Loved it. Um, (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for coming on and, and not just sharing your own experiences, um, but also what's, you know, what it's like to, to access care. And 
in the US. So um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. See you later. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I hope you loved that interview I did with Julie. As I said, she's really funny, very honest. And I think this is, I I think I'm just drawn to this in people, this ability to just say it as it is. And I think that's what Julie does. In this interview, she's just completely 100% honest with, with us, the audience, which is a really important and amazing gift to give us. Um, and yeah, I, I really appreciated kind of listening to her experiences in the US and what it's been like um, to access care. And to be honest, although I have obviously uh, my issues with, with our healthcare system in Australia, uh, we're also very lucky, very, very lucky. Um, so yeah, I really, really loved that. Thank you, Julie, for coming on and being my first international guest. That was so much fun. Um, so guys, as usual, if you want to reach out to me, participate in this beautiful thing I call a podcast, there's a few ways you can do that. You can go to Facebook and type in, if you don't mind, you'll find us there. It's nice and easy. Um, if you go to Instagram and type in, if you don't mind podcast, you'll find the pod there. Um, if you feel like being on the show, if you have any questions or queries, you can send an email through to, if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you've got a few extra dollars to spare each month, why not become a patron of the show? All you need to do is go to patreon.com, type in if you don't mind podcast, and it will appear for you. Um, Yeah, and you can give as little as $2 a month, which is like half a cup of coffee these days, because apparently, you know, coffee's fucking $4 these days. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for for joining me today and, and listening to another episode of If You Don't Mind it still makes me so happy every time I log on to Acast and I see all the people listening and it just, it's so great. Um, and also, like, if you have a spare moment and you feel like reviewing the pod, you can. Just go to Apple Podcasts, drop in a little review. It would make my day. Um, guys, as usual, be kind to not only yourself but to those around you. Um, and when you have a chance, listen to someone else's story because it's uh, it's what it's what helps us grow essentially. (laughs) I'll see you guys next time. Bye.